You're listening to the Health by Design podcast, and I'm your host, Roar Alexander, wellness architect and functional lifestylist. I spent nearly six years of my life on a journey through the ancient East to bring you the cutting-edge combination of modern Western health sciences blended with the time-proven ancient traditions, principles, and practices that have flourished through thousands of years across countless cultures, peoples, and nations. Join me and my many special guests from all corners of the globe as we aim to help you live stronger, longer, and better. Hey everybody, thanks for stopping in and tuning in to this episode of Health by Design. Um, I've got a little bit of a cold right now, if you can't tell in my voice. I've been having it since Thailand. Unfortunately, in my last couple days in Thailand, I ended up catching a little bit of a red eye, which sucks, and that led into some pneumonia. Well, not pneumonia, but bronchitis, I should say, because I've always suffered with asthma. Um, And it just seems to be one of those ones, you know, where it, it just doesn't go away. It doesn't really affect you a lot, except for your cough and your breathing. You know, I don't have a headache, nose is running, but you know, I can, nobody really knows. I'm sick for the most part and I'm still going to the gym and training and going to the saunas and stuff like that but it's just one of those hacking coughs that just you know kicks in and then goes away so if I sound a little bit different that is why Um, but anyways what I want to talk about is today's awesome episode Uh, I know I say every episode is awesome but this one I am also super excited about you know that one of my passions is a home toxins and I you know I talk about how yes exercise is one part of the equation and eating clean and eating healthy is a second part of the equation and I'm not necessarily talking about organics because even organics I've talked before I've you know they use their own you know natural pesticides still I don't really want to call it a side but they use their own poisons you know they're not off they're picking off the bugs so the importance of really cleaning your foods whether they are organic or non-organic obviously If you can go to that dirty dozen, you know, the top 12 dirty dozen list and get rid of those and switch those for organic. But again, make sure you're cleaning the organics and especially with something like Eat Cleaner. We had, um, you know, the founder, Maria Ibrahim on talking about her Eat Cleaner product. It's all natural, great hygiene cleaner for food. Um, But toxins are one of my, you know, one of my real pet projects. I really want to get it out there. I've ordered some just amazing books over the last few weeks. I'm actually writing my own right now. I can't tell you the title of that exactly, but it basically has to do with having a clean home and, you know, using my functional feng shui approach. Um, So that should be hopefully out. I don't really want to say when, but I'm guessing sometime early. I'm really trying to push it for early 2019. Um, writing a book's a lot though because I don't want my book just to be a lot of words. Um, we live in an age now where people respond a lot more to pictures, um, images, colors, um, infographics. So really want to kind of, I always want to make it like a book. It's kind of like this book was like if you took Facebook and Instagram and somehow they wrote a book. This is what the book would be. So I really want it to be heavy in graphics, heavy in pictures, uh, very little words, getting straight to the point. I'm not going to, a lot of these books you read them, um, and nothing wrong with them, it's just the way they are, but a lot of them, you know, cite a lot of scientific studies and really want to say, hey, this is bad for you, and here's why. Boom, 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 tons of reasons why. I don't really think we need to do that. If I have to sit there and literally write down all the research and explain to you, why these toxins are bad, then you're probably not that interested anyway, because I have to really try to convince you. But my book is going to be more like, yeah, here's some, either here's some science behind it, or here's, you know, um, some really solid theories, and here's just some common sense. Um, So yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a little more of a fun book, I think. Um, Definitely more of a, it's a science meets inspiration book, which I'm all about, you know, science meets psychology, um, East meets West sort of idea. So Watch for that sometime in early to mid 2019. Um, it's just it's just putting the whole thing together. It's a lot of work. I cannot uh, I cannot understate that more. But speaking of books, one of a uh, new book I just got is by Dr. Anthony G. J. and he is my guest today on the Thrive Life. Uh, sorry, on the Health by Design podcast. Used to be called the Thrive Life podcast. I changed it to the Health by Design podcast. Of course, you probably know that by now. Um, Dr. 
Dr. J's book is called Estrogeneration, and this is just a great book where he's decided to really focus on those endocrine disrupting chemicals. Those are the chemicals that basically interfere with our hormones, but just not our hormones, but maybe the hormones of our kids. So he comes to it from a real genetic and epigenetics point of view and talking about how these, you know, these toxins that happen to affect our hormones at on a personal level, but they can also get into your children, your children's children and carry down the line. So his point of view is, you know, these ones, even though there's things like neurotoxins and other things out there that you can't carcinogens that can give you cancer. Those aren't things that are going to impact the health of maybe your unborn kids or your family to come down the road or it's, it's affecting your children right now. So his you know his book is really focusing on that kind of the danger of these chemicals that interfere with our hormones and that is so many you probably have heard of like bpa from plastics but then of course what most people don't understand is that the bp is a family so what happens is a lot of these plastic companies took out bpa because all the what they call the stroller pushing mamas were you know all upset the lululemoners we're all upset about the bpa but all they did was they took out the bpa and they put in bps and a lot of research is now showing us that BPS is probably worse for you than the BPA. So at the end of the day, you know, and I even asked him, is there such thing as a healthy plastic? And he talked about, oh, there's a couple of the numbers there that aren't the worst. But at the end of the day, plastic is a plastic is a plastic. And we really should be trying to avoid them using stainless steels and using glass. So... He really, really talks a lot. We get really in-depth into the problem with hormone-disrupting chemicals. So I really hope you enjoy that book. Again, that book is called Estro Generation. You can buy it through Amazon. Dr. J was kind enough to actually send me a signed copy, which is amazing. I'm reading it right now. It's such a great book. Um, so yeah, uh, you can also get it obviously through any of your major bookstores, Barnes & Noble, um, any of the major, major bookstores through the U.S. and Canada. So definitely check that book out. Um, with no further ado, let's get on to our interview and our um, podcast with Dr. Anthony G.J. I think you guys are really going to like this. And my, my real hope is that it opens your eyes to realize that exercise, food, and environment and then of course relationships are also you know kind of the four cornerstones when it comes to your health and then you have a few subsets of that as well such as um, daily movement which I in my view is more important than exercise um, you know subsets like things like hydration and stuff like that that fall in the nutrition realm um, and then of course you know having passion and purpose in your life is a big one and that's a big one that's missing particularly here in Vancouver a study came out just a few weeks ago that talks about how Vancouver Canada even though we are Basically, we are, you know, Canada's California for the most part. We have the beautiful mountains. I mean, in the Chinese culture, you know, they consider Hong, uh, they consider Vancouver here very feng shui, similar to Hong Kong because we're nestled between the oceans and the mountains. We have some of the most green areas for a city in all of the world. I think second only to maybe Singapore, surprisingly. Yet, Vancouver is the unhappiest place uh, in the unhappiest city in the country. And a lot of that happens to come down to, there's a couple factors, obviously. The amount of clouds we get is a big one. But the biggest one is lack of connection um, with communities. And a lot of people, I'm going to be honest, we legalize marijuana here, we don't need to. Because there's a huge lack of purpose here, lack of passion. And, you know, I heard it even today. Somebody said they called or referred to the Vancouver people as zombies. And I'm telling you this, if you're from Vancouver, you're listening to this, I'm sorry. You can get mad at me. But the fact is, you know, I've traveled the world and I've lived outside of this country now for six years. And the people really here are very zombie-ish and uh, just, yeah, that I don't know, there's, there's no fire in you guys. So if you're from Vancouver, you're listening to this, you can get mad at me, post the comments below, but we need to get some fire in your eyes, guys. So maybe one of those reasons is, you know, too many estrogens in our environment. I guess we're going to find out. So let's get on to our interview with Dr. Anthony G.J. Hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. So I'm here with uh, Dr. Anthony G.J., the author of the book Estrogeneration. How are you today? Is it, is it okay to call you Dr. J.? Oh, sure. Yeah, Perfect. I'm great. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you. Now, you are a scientist at the Mayo Clinic, um, as well as you have a PhD in biochemistry from Boston University School of Medicine. Is that correct? 
Of course. Yep. <laughs> wow. And then you also have a nonprofit where you train medical students. What's what's that about exactly? Well, so I I had that for a couple of years. I actually closed it down recently because uh, you know because I switched over to the Mayo Clinic. So I was back. I was actually living in Boston until last year. Okay. And uh, I decided, you know, honestly, I like the idea of training medical students, and there's a lot of things that are lacking in their education, as you probably know, in mm -hmm. terms of nutrition and, you know, just a lot of this preventative stuff, functional medicine stuff. But um, it became a lot of just logistics and party planning type. It felt more like party planning because I was trying to set up these rotations for these students and it got a little tedious and I, I prefer doing research. So I moved back to Minnesota because that's where the family is. But then also, you know, I was interested in stem cells and I want to do stem cell research. So that's where I'm at and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, very interesting. Boston's a nice city. I always like, I always like yep. Boston. I used to do a lot of summers there and go up to Salem. I guess it was up to Salem, I think from Boston or down yeah, to Plymouth yep. Rock in Massachusetts. Yep. Uh, I guess, uh, yep. what was the other one? Martha's Vineyard where they filmed Jaws. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. Yep. Great aquarium over there too. Oh yeah. I yeah. used to have a pass at the aquarium, like a, an annual pass and they do the touch. Have you ever done the touching tank where you can touch the sharks and the stingrays? No, I've, I've only made it to the aquarium once. I was probably about 18 years old. I just remember it's this big column and you kind of walk all the way up. Yeah. They've um, done a lot of renos and they still have the column. Yeah. Okay. They may not have even had the petting cause I think it's something I definitely would have done if they had that. Oh, yeah. We're talking yeah. probably 22 years ago. 23 yeah. years ago. No, I'm sure it's newer than that. <laughs> yeah, no, I got one. I just got one actually for the Vancouver Aquarium myself because there's nothing better to do when nice. you know there's a rainy day or a sunny day just hanging out at the aquarium, you know, because it's for the price yeah. of one and a half visits, you can go all year. So it just makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, so now training the medical students, <clears throat> is that something that was part of their curriculum or is that something that they took on their own project? Like was it was it because of their own interest or was that part of like the medical school? Like how did that work? Yeah, well, it was a nonprofit that I founded. I co-founded with a neurologist, mm -hmm. and uh, what we did is we actually brought international medical students over, and we worked with the schools themselves from different countries. Okay. And because because I'm fairly well connected, and my friend is fairly well connected, we, uh, you know, between the labs and the hospitals, we we rotated them mostly in rural practices because there's a real need for doctors and out in the you know outside of the big cities. Mm -hmm. So even though it seems like Boston's not a rural area, there's, you know, and when you get outside of Boston one hour, two hours, you know, especially up north in, in the direction of Maine and New Hampshire, there's a lot of, you know, opportunities there. And we had a lot of, we had total control over what we wanted to, you know, what we wanted to tell these students, what we wanted to teach them. And, you know, so it was an interesting experience. <clears throat> did it include, did you guys talk about like, uh, cause I know, like you said, uh, medical students don't get into a lot of nutrition and stuff too. Did you kind of get into that oh, yeah. area too? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had orientations and different speakers and you know, yeah, we, we, like I say, we had a lot of opportunity and we took advantage of it, but, um, it's just, like I said, it's just, it wasn't quite the way I wanted it to be. You know, it felt it felt a little bit too conventional, you know, putting these doctors in the American system. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. <laughs> so now you're doing now you said you're doing a little bit. You're been back into you said stem cells. Is that what you're focusing Correct. on now? And then you're so from stem cells. Does that have anything to do with the estrogen stuff? Because you got your book, yeah. Estrogeneration, which of course is a great book about all the estrogens and, and the different chemicals in our environment, how they affect us hormonally. So how do those kind of link up? Yeah, well, I did my PhD on fats and cholesterol and hormones, <clears throat> and the stem cells are interesting because they're really influenced by these estrogen chemicals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're real sensitive to it. And what's interesting, and I know we're going to talk about this soon, but epigenetic changes, you know, are what I'm really fascinated by and what I'm what I'm studying. Yeah, and that's of course modulated by artificial estrogen chemicals. So you know, as, as you're exposed to BPA or phthalates or whatever, whatever these estrogen chemicals that I'm writing about, you know, mm -hmm. whichever ones you're exposed to, yeah, they alter all, all sorts of cells in your body, but especially the stem cells, you know, have the long-term changes. And, and, and it, it, you get, you get, your stem cells get, you know, hit by these chemicals and they really remember it. You know? Yeah. 
and that's a major problem. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can imagine we'll get more deep into that as we get into the uh, epigenetics. It's such an interesting field now. So yeah. now to write a book, obviously, write a whole book, you have to be quite passionate about a subject because you know, I'm working on a couple books and you know, about halfway through, you can start to get kind of bored. What, what was, what do you, why did you decide that a book focusing on the estrogen was so important right now? I think it was mainly because nobody was talking about it. And when I went to college, I learned that there was birth control in the water, in the water supply, and it shocked me. I'd never even heard that before. Mm -hmm. And then as I started researching, you know, it was always in the back of my mind, like, oh, there's this in the water, there's that in the water, there's this in our personal care products. And you just don't hear about it. I mean, sometimes you hear a little piece of it, you know, here and there, but you just don't hear the whole story. Yeah. And so what I wanted to do was to put together the whole story, especially the artificial estrogens we're exposed to every day. You know, because because Agent Orange acts on our endocrine system and disrupts our hormones, but, you know, we're not exposed to Agent Orange. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, yep. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but we are exposed to phthalates, you know, every single day. And we're exposed to some of these sunscreen chemicals, even in the shampoo products where you wouldn't expect to find them. And you know, again, back to the water supply, and then there's these mold estrogens, there's phytoestrogens, there's all these. So what I did is I found, I kind of put together a top 10 list, and there's not exactly 10 estrogens. There's there's certain categories, so there's more than 10, but, uh, you know, I, my focus was everyday exposures because that's what I wanted to learn about, and that's what I want people to know about. Yeah, I know, for sure. Now, because one of the things that's really interesting is that, you know, you can kind of see the clues everywhere, yet, the, you know, it seems to me, you know, the regular medical community, and not a lot of people are talking about it, but, you know, you'll hear stories in the news like how men today have lower testosterone than their grandfathers, and you'll hear about, you know, um, breast cancer rates or just cancer rates in general seem to be going you know, they're just getting higher and higher, even though, you know, you go to the, you, you watch the, I was watching the, you know, the breakfast TV today and they had on a girl and she was on there talking about green tea and it's anti-cancer and all these different things are talking about their anti-cancer, yet cancer rates are just going up and up. You know, Canada now, they're saying one in two people are going to have cancer. Wow. You know, that's 40, like they say, 49% of men and 48% of women are going to have a cancer at some point <clears> in their <throat> lives. And then you got some of these, you know, scientific i guess these real these real hardcore scientific based people who say no nope, you know there's absolutely no evidence that any of these do anything there's no proof you know show us the proof yet when you say okay well what is your guess then why why are cancer rates going up why is breast cancer rate going why is testosterone going down they, they can't give you an answer because they won't even guess <laughs> <laughs> well, right. to right. me, it seems like, you know, at least at least people out there like you and other people are saying, you know what, there's some good evidence here. And it's, you know, we're at least we're tossing out some theories. You know, where yeah. the other guys yeah. aren't doing anything. Oh, and oftentimes within the scientific community where, of course, I'm, I'm active, mm -hmm. what, you, what you frequently get is this idea that we just weren't able to diagnose it, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. Which is, of course, ridiculous, right? Because if you've got, if you've got, you know, allergies or breast cancer or whatever, it's pretty obvious, you know, some of the most of these diseases mm -hmm. and obesity is another example. It's like you don't <laughs> you can't ignore it when you have 300 pound, you know, exactly 300 pounds of fat. You, you just you can see it. It's real obvious. And and there there's no question that maybe there's a little bit of you know, difference in our ability to diagnose certain things, but man, for the most part, this stuff is absolutely empirical and it's data driven. Yeah, well, one of the interesting ones, and this has just came out just last week, I guess, was about Splenda. I'm assuming you saw that. Um, so one of the things I'd always yeah. said about Splenda, um, you know, was, you know, because people who avoided Splenda, you know, we're all, they're all crazies, you know, because there's no evidence <laughs> that it does anything. Eat your Splenda, don't be stupid, you know. Yeah. And the argument was, well, they gave the rats 30% of their body weight or whatever it was. Right. So, you know, you're never going to do that. So the argument for the safety of Splenda, from what I understand, was always that, you know, you just pee it out. It's, it's just water soluble. It doesn't get stored in your fat. You just pee it out. No part of it stays in your system. And that was the going thing for the last 30 years since 84 ever Splenda came out. But then I guess recently there was a new, there's a new kind of, a new kind of, um, I guess technology where they've actually now managed to actually find Splenda metabolites stored in fat cells all over the body. Oh, sure. So, well, not only that, but you're disrupting gut bacteria too, which 
in general is something that's been overlooked in toxicology. You know, people haven't been checking. Well, yeah, this is the this is the dose that kills 50% of the mice, right? Or the 50% of the rats. They call it LD50. Mm-hmm. But nobody's been checking. Well, what does it do to your gut bacteria? And people in Boston, back when I was just way back when I was doing my PhD, they were all the scientists were already talking about that. So there was some recognition among certain scientists that were that were smart and kind of on the cutting edge that this is not healthy in that regard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the fat cells too. I mean, that it, stuff is always a you know. And and one of the things I want to add there too is you know with these artificial estrogens. Um, you know, one of them is called atrazine. It's a herbicide. It's the second most used herbicide in North America after mm-hmm. glyphosate, after Roundup. Yep. And it's illegal in Europe. So it's it's totally banned because it's, it's you know, super unhealthy. It's estrogenic. It acts like estrogen in your body. But again, second most used. It's all over the place in North America, especially in the grains. And uh, the LD50 for that is like 3,000 uh, milligrams per kilogram of body weight for for rats. Okay. Right. It literally takes 3000 milligrams before you start killing rats and, uh, milligrams. I mean, that's, so that's about, that's, that's about, that's about that's three grams, right? Yeah. Yeah. 3000 yeah. milligrams. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also, it's also 3 billion nanograms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when we're measuring hormones, we measure them in the nanogram levels. And so of course you could say, well, you know, what's it doing to your hormones? Well, if you've got if it, if it takes 3000 milligrams to kill a rat, you know, nanograms shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. But then, but then that's what we find when we do scientific studies. Yeah. You, of course you're not killing anything at, at when you're dosing animals with nanogram amounts, mm-hmm. but you're seeing effects. You start to see epigenetic changes. You see long-term health changes that take years to come out. And that's the real issue in my mind is, we're underestimating these long-term changes that we're, we're, you know, we're impacting ourselves over the, the course of years. And we're pretending like all that matters is whether something is toxic in the sense that it's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you take a aspartame, they, they, they'll say, you know, take a pack of Splendage, you die, or if it doesn't, doesn't hurt you. But right. the other thing is interesting, though, is, and this is another thing that people don't think about, too, I think, is it's, you know, it's the combination of all the stuff, I think, put together in small amounts. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe a pack of Splendid in your coffee a day. You know, if that's all you were doing, if that's all you did, and everything yep. else was perfect, you live on an organic island, then you'd be fine. I mean, no problem <laughs> yeah. at all. But, you know, right. you're having that as well as you're having, you know, what it is, you're washing yourself, you're washing yourself in your shower. I, I don't know, I don't, we'll talk maybe about chlorine and stuff. You got your chlorine in there, you got chloramines, you got your, you know, all your parabens and the shampoos and the plastic. So everything just starts exactly. to add up together. And I think that's what people don't know. And it's almost, yeah. I think it'll almost be impossible because we don't know, you, know, you can't do all the combinations. I mean, the, they must go into the trillions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's exactly, that's exactly the main point of my book. It's like. If it was just one of these things, you know, wouldn't be that big of a deal, but you start adding them on top of each other. They they not only bioaccumulate, meaning they store in your fat cells, like you noted with sucralose, you know, but they also add to each other because they're acting all in the same way. These estrogens are all acting like estrogen. So yeah, there's a study just on atrazine and yeah, it's problematic. It shows mitochondria dysfunction and insulin resistance and male feminization and a lot of health problems lowering testosterone all this but then you look at parabens and you start to see the same things and you look at phthalates and you see the same things and then of course yeah if you add them all together in a cocktail and ingest those it's going to exacerbate the problems but nobody's doing that study you yeah know, it's no. a little bit it's a messy study there was one that i'd seen recently i think it came out a month ago i don't have it on hand unfortunately but it was a pretty interesting one it was one of the universities and what they did is they they took, I think it was about 10 or 12 of the common ones, and they actually gave rats um, the, the amount that a normal person would get in a normal day. So they didn't do anything really weird. And they actually found about, I think they said it ended up being about a 10% gain of weight in the male yeah. rats. I guess the male rats were actually hit harder than the female rats. So the male rats were hit just as hard at the lower doses because what they did is they did a regular dose, they did a low dose, and they did a very high dose, which is your typical, yeah. like, way too high. And the yeah. male rats 
even from the lower dose responded as bad as the male rats and the higher dose where the women were at, the female rats, only started experiencing it at the moderate to high doses. So why would that yeah. be? Is it, is it because women have more fat and because these are fat soluble, women can kind of hold more before it starts to overflow? Is it like, yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to say with these hormones. And uh, I think there's always the factor of uh, down regulation of receptors. So you know, if you take, if you start injecting yourself with testosterone, your body, uh, it, it stops picking it up. It, it down regulates the receptors. It actually decreases the amount of receptors. So you need to inject more in order to get the same amount of effect. And you have to inject more and more and more because your body just sensitizes to it. Huh. And it definitely does that with artificial estrogen as well. So there's that difference between men and women in the sense that our bodies just the, the amount of sensitivity changes between men and women as you're exposed. It, yeah. it changes differently, but we're both impacted, you know, especially yeah. with infer infertility. We both get major infertility over the long term with these chemicals. Now, is there any research, like, uh, I don't have infertility in my book, is there any research, is, are infertility rates going up? Is there any research? Oh, yeah. yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's well, going up too. Not only, not only that, but... Um, you know, it, in the animal studies, they show that it's multi-generational, so it crosses generations. And so if you expose a mother mouse to BPA mm -hmm. or birth or birth control, by the way, okay. um, the, you know, it doesn't really change her fertility that much, but it changes her the next generation. And it gets even worse in the third and fourth generations. So right. it actually compounds just from the one exposure to that mother. So Not, it was an epigenetic um, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Now, <laughs> which I can't help but get into, right? I can't yeah, no, but for it's, sure. It's true, right? It's that's a scary thing because, you know, you might selfishly think, well, it's not really affecting me, but then once you realize, you know, actually it is affecting you because you're getting fatter or you're getting, you know, whatever you're, you're causing changes, but it also is more dramatic in the future. And did you see that study recently about the the sperm count? I did not. No. Yeah, so they just put together a massive, they just finished a massive study. I mean, this was literally like a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. And it was 40,000 men um, that were participating. That's a pretty and big, they, it's a pretty big group. Well, yeah, and it was from 1970 till today. Okay. Um, so all, not only a big group, but a huge, vast, you know, time span, time course. Mm -hmm. And male sperm counts are down 50%. Wow. So, I mean, there's no doubt you know, this is a real issue. And, and you could say, well, that's not total infertility, but the trend is well, it's in not the direction. Good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. This is a problem with a lot of the medical people say, well, it's not total. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 50%, not great. <laughs> it's oh, almost yeah. like you, you got to be you know, dead. Then they go, oh, okay, die. There's a problem, I guess. <laughs> well, and you know what happens, right? This happened with the, the uh, puberty age range too, because that's been dropping and dropping in girls. So you literally are seeing eight-year-old girls going into puberty. Yeah. And what? And because it's now so common, medical doctors are publishing papers, and I have this in my book, <clears throat> but they're publishing papers that suggest we should change the normal age range of puberty because so many people are coming into puberty early. So many girls. And that's what we've done with testosterone, right? The, the, the numbers have gotten so low that we've just shifted the normal range down well, to most people instead of saying, this is a problem. Yeah, well, that seems to be that seems to be a very common trend. I mean, even in clothing sizes, right? Uh, you know, like, as, like a four now was, I think the four now used to be like a, it was like a 10 or something like in the seventies. Yeah. I mean, so that's just kind of what we do is as things get worse, we just shift it up instead of actually going, okay, there's a problem. We just change the numbers. I mean, it's, it's changing the math. It's not even right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at least with clothing, it's not really impacting anybody's health. But when no, exactly. But it's, numbers, just, it, it's just an example though of, you know, how we just keep shaving example. everything. Um, yeah. Now, women's testosterone too, because women need testosterone too. So, yep. are women's? Have we seen when women's? Because you always hear about men's testosterone dropping, men all the time. I've never heard anybody mention about women's testosterone is down. I would assume it must be. Oh yeah, no, it definitely is, and it's hard to find. It's hard to find those studies and numbers because they didn't start checking women's nearly as early. So, in the 1940s, we were checking men's testosterone, and by the way, we're like literally half of what we were back then. Hmm. You know, the average man used to be about 500 back when we first were starting to check testosterone. Yep. But yeah, they weren't even they weren't even checking women, you know, back then. Yeah, that but, makes sense. But as the tests have gotten more and more sensitive, we've done more and more, and 
and yeah, it's down. I, I mentioned that in my book, but I don't go into it a lot. Yeah. Um, because okay. again, it's it is hard to find the studies. You know? Yeah, no, I can imagine. Now let's get let's get more into estrogens. Let's just jump right into it. So now you have there's now you had said there was a few main categories, but the two that I, I know of quite well are phytoestrogens and xenoestrogens. Um, yep. well, what are the, just off, just quickly, what are the other, are, the, are those the two categories? There are more categories you said, right? Or no, I just, I just call them all artificial estrogens. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> or, or, or estrogenics is probably even better because technically phytoestrogens are from plants and that's not artificial, mm -hmm. right? I mean, they're made in nature, but so I call them estrogenics and a lot of scientists do, yeah, meaning makes sense. Anything it's something that estrogen, right? Yeah, exactly. So even natural estrogen is technically an estrogenic. Mm-hmm. So that that's not really a category. That's kind of like the overall, the overarching classification. Gotcha. But yeah, the phytoestrogens are one of my top ten. Yeah. So phytoestrogens, and so people know. So those are like you said, those are plant based, right? So what yep. are some examples of that? So there's four, and there's only two that are really substantial. So they did a big study actually in Canada where you are, okay. and they they looked at over a hundred plants that people eat, and only two of them were over 1,000 micrograms of phytoestrogen in 100 grams of the food. So, so just that's remember 10% then, correct? Well, you well uh, 100, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Okay. But but so the, just uh, units aside, right? So mm -hmm. people don't be confused. Yeah. Um, everything was under 1,000 micrograms. Okay. Um, under 1,000, but soy and flax were both above 100,000. Hmm. Right? And those are the two you find in the health food stores. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah, telling yeah, you to eat massive amounts of. <laughs> yeah. And you also find health issues if you dig deep enough in the scientific research, but then you also find a lot of spin and bias and claims of health benefits. And it gets tricky with those too because your gut bacteria have a huge role in breaking them down and the byproducts of the breakdown can be healthy. Yeah. And so you're taking kind of a chance in assuming that you've got healthy gut bacteria, which most people today don't. Yeah. But, but you know, that skews a lot of the studies. It makes it complicated. So then you can, <clears throat> there's literally a review paper published on soy, for example, that it talks about the five health benefits of soy. And then it also talks about the five or six health risks of soy. Mm -hmm. And they're almost exactly the same. Like one of them says soy prevents breast cancer. And then another study will say soy causes breast cancer <laughs> yeah no soy soy is such a difficult one and flax is i know flax you know people are like like you said it raises estrogen but people say well it's also got omega threes and it's also got the ligands and the ligands are good for you so i mean it gets very it gets it gets difficult like you said and i know soy again is like the same thing you know people in japan you know been eating soy for a long time and they got very low rates of cancer but well, then, that's a good well that's a good point and, and the important point there is that if you ferment the soybeans or soy products, it's under 100 micrograms of phytoestrogen. So it goes from over 100,000 to under 100. So fermentation products are all just great, you know? Yeah, because it's NATO, right? They eat over there a lot. Yep, and it's yep. not even much. People don't realize it's only about one or two ounces they're really eating. They're not pounding away, you know, 40 grams of soy yeah. isolate from a scoop. Exactly. Because you know, we love to take our American ways and make everything, you know, quadruple right. and make everything by well, 10. That's the, thing. that's the thing, too, is in America we have soy sauce, but oftentimes we're not actually fermenting that for real. We're just mimicking the process. Over there, they're actually fermenting the soy. So mm. you have to be careful for things like that. You want genuinely fermented soy products if you're going to go that direction. <clears throat> yeah, no, 100%. I actually eat a lot of soy, but uh, – well, not soy, sorry. I eat a lot of sushi um since i moved back to vancouver because we have a lot of great sushi here but i actually went out and i bought a coconut aminos because yeah. about two weeks in there eating my sushi because i went sushi crazy i'm like man i'm eating a lot of soy sauce <laughs> i'm probably doing like four tablespoons a day and uh i know you know a lot of ones you get here are just like the junky you know just yeah. Junky oh, yeah. soy. so I, w I switched up to the coconut aminos because i know the importance uh, of avoiding that soy <laughs> yeah oh that's good that's a good thing to do yeah then you but get, yeah, and then, sorry, no, go on. Well, I was going to say the other two, I mean, soy and flax are the ones, but then there's also marijuana smoke. So if, you, if you're actually breathing in the smoke, that's been shown to be estrogenic. Um, and that's where you start to see infertility and things with the, the, the youngsters that are the teenagers and things that are smoking marijuana. And, and then finally, lavender is real similar in that sense. Yeah. And I want to touch on those two because uh, it's so timely right now. It's another reason I was like, oh, this yeah. is such a perfect time because, you know, <laughs> marijuana is legalized here. It's in, in like three weeks. Uh -huh. 
And three weeks, oh, okay. everybody's smoking pot everywhere in Vancouver. I mean, there's a pot <laughs> store everywhere. Next week, you can start growing in your house. And yeah. I'm always warning people, like, you know, that's estrogenic. Now, now the edible is not, correct? If I got correct. That correct? Yeah. So the yeah. edible is not. But that, of course, is not legalized yet. I guess the edibles will be oh. another year or something. So what's going to happen now is just everybody's just going to start smoking it. I'm telling people, because there's been evidence that it's, you know, highly estrogenic. It's not like a brand new thing. It's been like that for a while, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So people don't understand that, yeah, the marijuana smoke is, especially if you're a guy, it's not a great idea to be doing that. Right. Right. And you can track your testosterone, you know, if you don't believe it. Just uh, just get a before and after, you know, before you start smoking it. Smoke it for a few weeks if you're going to smoke it after. Check your testosterone. It'll drop. Yeah, you mean just and, do it like a blood test on testosterone levels? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Hmm. Yeah. And then lavender. I really want to get into that because, you know, I do I do some uh, I do some working with the nutrition store here. And I am a quite a big aromatherapy person. And actually, I didn't know about lavender until I heard you talking about it. I was like, yeah. oh, bugger. Because <laughs> that's the one that's the one that's in, you know, every sleep formula. And, yeah. you know, just promote it for sleep and inside all those little dream pillows you shove in your pillow. I mean, so, so what's so lavender? What, how is that working? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure exactly, but I know that they've done multiple studies. One of them was in the New England Journal of Medicine. And, you know, it was just a few people that they had found that had been exposed to lavender essential oils. And then they got gynecomastia, meaning man boobs. Mm -hmm. And and then that kind of triggered a bunch of research and and not only did they show it in people, but they showed it in cells that it activates the estrogen receptor, which is kind of the, the gold standard in my mind. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like whether or not you actually see it in people is tricky because, and this is true of all the estrogens, right? BPA, phthalates, all this. It causes a lot of arguments and discussion about all of these chemicals. And that is because it can take years, you know, like I said, and might even take generations before you see the biggest impacts. But if you're looking at the cells and you're seeing the estrogen receptor activated, well, then it's estrogenic. You yeah, know? and there's sure. no doubt that there's no doubt that lavender essential oil does that. And it's not brand specific. They've done studies on multiple different brands, 100% pure. So a lot of people tell me, well, my lavender essential oil is, you know, is there's a <laughs> process different, so it's okay. Oh. Yeah. And I get that a lot. There's a lot of attachment, emotional attachment to that one. Yeah, well, especially, you know, I can see that because it is very popular. You know, I sell a lot of it. I mean, you know, it's in, it's in the yoga world. It's in the sleep world. I can see a right. lot of people getting attached to that. Now, um, now, what about if you now, is that like internally taking it, rubbing on your skin, or is that even just breathing it like in a diffuser? Yeah. Does it matter? Um, well, it matters maybe, but I think it doesn't matter in the sense that if you're breathing it, it's getting into your lungs and spiking your blood if you're rubbing it on your skin. I mean, that's why there's benefits to a lot of these essential oils because, because yeah, they, these chemicals get into your body. Yeah. And even lavender definitely has benefits. It has anti-inflammatory properties, for example. And, you know, for some people, they want estrogen increase. So, you know, that might actually be a benefit in some cases, right? It doesn't mean it's always bad to have more estrogen. Mm. But for the most part, our culture is over-estrogenated, if, that, if that's yes. even a word. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it a word. We'll make it a new thing. But yeah, no, a lot of people uh, underplay the uh, power of uh, you know, uh, essential oils. But I mean, they've been yeah. used medically, you know, for medicines and ancient medicines for thousands of years, going back to Chinese, Ayurvedic, you know, Bible. I mean, there's tons of studies on that. I mean, you know, the yeah. peppermint is great for focus. You know, I think it's rosemary is great for memory. I mean, these things, these things work. So, oh yeah, yeah, no, and I'm a fan. You know, it's just you just got to know your, you got to know what's going on. Yeah, no, it's just like anything else. You got to treat them like a medication. You got to do your research on the essential oils. So, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm doing a couple of essential oil courses right now, just because I want to learn more about them too. Oh, nice. Now, yeah. xenoestrogens. Then, so so plant estrogens, like you said, sorry, phytoestrogens are plant based. Um, yep. Now, your body does your body, like you said, your body may or may not respond to that. Um, so you may have. You know, like if you eat flax, you may have uh, the, the enzymes or the, the probiotics in your stomach to kind of break that down, maybe. Exactly. But xenoestrogens yeah. are different, though, correct? Because those are more man-made. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, except for the mycoestrogen. So like phytoestrogen from plants is, is number one in my top ten list. But number two is mycoestrogen, meaning mold estrogen. Okay. Because molds actually, actually secrete estrogen. Um, it's called the chemical is called zerolino. It's spelled okay. Z E A zerolino, 
And yeah, but again, that's similar in the sense that our bodies have seen that, our gut bacteria have seen those chemicals. You can break some of them down. But but yeah, absolutely. With these artificial estrogens like parabens and birth control and uh, BPA, phthalates, some of the sunscreen chemicals, yeah, they're completely xeno in the sense, xeno meaning alien. That's a literal translation from Greek of xeno, I think. Mm. Well, then, and, uh, yeah, xeno, like xenophobic would be, you know, the afraid yeah, of form. Yeah. yeah, so that makes sense, yeah. Huh. Yeah, and that's, and that's why our bodies are more susceptible to problems there because it's more predictable. It's, it's less associated with how healthy your gut bacteria or your skin bacteria or even your lung bacteria. You have different biomes in all these different environments, but the, the xenoestrogens, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So where are some of the top places then? Um, I'm sure in your book you go over them all, but where are some of the top places just off the top of your head that we see? You mentioned parabens. and I know those are a lot in shampoos and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then yeah. you'd also said, uh, what were the other ones you said? You said some phthalates? Phthalates, yeah. Um, like I said, birth control, atrazine. Like those are the, the birth control and the atrazine. Now, remember, birth control is specifically designed not to be broken down by your body. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the strategies when they make steroids, including the bodybuilding steroids. They don't want your liver to break them down. Um, so they have more lasting impact. But the problem is then it ends up in the water supply and it doesn't get broken down there either. And so the atrazine and the birth control, you find those in the water supply. But yeah, with the parabens, the phthalates, um, you find those in the fragrances, in your shampoos and conditioners and, and deodorants and soaps. And that's probably the after the water, that's the biggest source. People are rubbing these on their skin. Yeah. And then you can't even you can't even find it on some of the ingredient labels because they don't technically have to reveal that. They're, they, they're allowed to keep the ingredients secret and just because it's a proprietary secret formula or something, they're allowed to just use the word fragrance. Or perfume, right? Is that the other one? Yeah, exactly. Perfume, yeah. and they spell it like in the French spelling. Yeah, no E, so it sounds a little sexy. Yeah, But yeah, they're allowed to sneak a lot of these chemicals in. And of course, those are effective doses. Those are you know, mimicking hormones in our body and the doses are similar to the natural levels. I mean, men have 20 nanograms per, per liter of, of estrogen and women have about 20 to 400. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we're rubbing those levels on our skin every day. Yeah. And imagine cups. women and their cosmetics too. Um, yeah. You know, because yeah. they use a lot more than guys. Now, are VOCs, VOCs, volatile organic compounds, are they another estrogen or are they? Uh, no, not that I know of. No. Nope. I mean, okay. they're, they're, I'm sure they're carcinogenic in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, there's probably some of the VOCs, you know, volatile, volatile, just volatile just means it goes into the air easily. Okay. So that's a pretty broad category. And I'm sure you can find some that are estrogenic. But again, it's one of those. Are we exposed every day, or are we exposed once a, once a year when we paint, you know, or something? Yeah, and no, it's like sure. yeah, once a, once a year is probably not something to get too worked up about. Yeah, exactly. Some people I know some people go overboard and they'll like strip the paints in their house. I mean, you get some people like go a little, I think, crazy. But oh yeah. yeah. Um, I, now I what about <laughs> yeah? What about chlorine and chlorine fluoride? Are are those are those an estrogenic category? Or are those in a different oh. category? No, those are entirely different. Those are different categories. Okay. Yeah. You're messing up your thyroid gland and things. And yeah, those are hormones, but they're not estrogen. You know, they're not altering your estrogen hormones. Gotcha. So there's still other chemicals we have to watch out for, even if they're not estrogenic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And But the thing about the other chemicals, and I don't want to downplay those because some of them are definitely bad in mm -hmm. like real substantial ways, but they're not, they don't, they usually don't impact your epigenetics. Okay. Um, and they, and they might, you know, I mean, their studies are pretty young, so there's probably going to be studies in the future that show that they do. But the estrogen, what's unique about estrogen and testosterone, by the way, is when they bind a receptor. So imagine a cell, right? It's got mm -hmm. a membrane. And then imagine the, where the DNA is. It's called the nucleus. That also has a membrane. So there's actually two membranes in your cell. And when the, when the estrogen it actually goes through the membrane of the cell, it just goes right through, just like it can go through your skin. Mm-hmm. And not only that, when it sticks to the receptor, it goes through the nuclear membrane. It goes into the nucleus and acts directly on DNA, which okay. not a lot of things do that. You know, like if you're talking about <clears throat> fluoride or or whatever other chemical, volatile organic compounds. Yeah, they just go they into the cell, but they don't go into the into the nucleus. So they're not acting directly on the DNA. 
Okay. Whereas estrogen does, and so do these xenoestrogens, and that's where you get the epigenetic changes, which are a lot more harmful. So I'm more worried about that. Yeah, so what you're saying is that even though the chemical, like the fluoride, the chemical like chlorine, that just might not be good for you personally, but right. it's not going to affect like the, the down Kids. the road, yeah, and it affect future <laughs> generations. Exactly. Huh. Nope. Very interesting. So now, so how, how do, what, what exactly do estrogens affect? So they affect your brain, like guts, like, like all the different, you see, you mentioned gut health in somewhere yeah. in there. Um, brain health, hormone, the hormone oh, yeah. levels, obviously. Yeah, well, what I do is I think of pregnancy, right? Because, estro because when, you're pre when a woman is pregnant, the estrogen goes way up, natural estrogen. Mm -hmm. It rises from you know, 20 to 400 all the way over 1,000. And so what you see, you see actual fat gains. You know, the, the body changes because if you have a fetus that needs energy and you're not eating, like historically our ancestors didn't always have access to food. So, you know, we needed an extra backup plan if we didn't have nutrition. Yeah. And that's fat. Fat is the most efficient storage form of energy. So if a woman was starving, at least the fetus can survive on fat. So your body actually stores more fat. And that's exactly what happens when you're exposed to atrazine or whatever other one of these estrogen chemicals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, think of postpartum depression. You know, you, you change those estrogen levels dramatically and you get depression. So, yeah, it acts on your brain. And, in fact, you see suicides are increased in birth control users. Um, you see things like children that are depressed when they have higher levels of urinary BPA, BPA in their pee. Mm -hmm. um, and on and on and on, you know, you look at depression and then you start, you see, uh, allergies actually, which is an, an interesting one because when you're pregnant, your immune system, it's called, they say it's stimulated and suppressed, which doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. But that's just what scientists find. They find that your immune system has to be suppressed by estrogen a little bit because otherwise your body would eat the fetus. It would just destroy the fetus and then it has to be activated even more than normal because you have to resist diseases so hmm. scientists have studied that and they don't understand exactly how that works but they do understand that estrogen is immunostimulative and immunosuppressive and and so are artificial estrogens right so then you get weird immune system issues like lupus flare-ups and things like that and autoimmune problems you know so and, and testosterone of course sex you know sex issues sex hormone issues fertility so yeah, those are the big ones, and and they're becoming increasingly common. Breast cancer, you know. Yeah. Of course, when you're pregnant, breast tissue changes. When you're exposed to BPA, breast tissue changes. You know what I mean? So that's how yeah. I think through it. That's now, breast cancer. Now, breast yeah. cancer rates have been going up quite a bit, haven't they? Oh yeah, up two hundred and fifty percent since nineteen eighty across the board. Yeah. Wow. So that's in just just under thirty just, years. Oh, yeah, huh. yeah. Even with all the awareness that we have out there. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, <laughs> so that's basically opinion. all we are is aware that it's going up. <laughs> Nobody yeah, seems yeah. to be that's doing exactly right. Nobody's yeah, doing that's, much about that's, it. <laughs> that's what kills me is when you watch the football games or whatever, and, you know, dressing the players up like newborn baby girls isn't really solving the problem. It's no. definitely definitely increasing awareness but where is that taking us yeah i mean that, that doesn't make sense to me so, like i've never seen anybody let's let's increase cancer prevention you yeah. know that that's a good idea let's increase cancer prevent not just increase awareness it's like you well, know, I, you know it's there you know it's there yeah. it's like okay yeah, I, know, exactly. I know and that's where the, that's where the <laughs> politics are so obvious here because these chemicals are making companies tons of money even red food dyes which i haven't even mentioned i mm. mean those act like estrogen the artificial red food dye and by the way as an aside we use them in the lab in our liquid that we grow the cells in yeah it's called phenol red p-h-e-n-o-l mm -hmm. but but you know we're studying these cells and we're actually putting dye in there to you know to measure how much sugar is left mm -hmm. we use this a ph sensitive dye but anyways um yeah and and you know it's it's ridiculous how we're you know we're injecting all these estrogen sources and we're seeing all these increases and and they're making the companies a lot of money that's why like red food dye is so prevalent is because it's cheaper than beet juice mm -hmm. or beet, beet extract yeah so you're, and all of our food is so processed we need these dyes so these corporations are clinging to the dyes they're clinging to the parabens because they're cheaper they're clinging to all these chemicals because they're so much cheaper yeah i guess they'd be like literally tenths of cost of the actual yeah. like, real ones 
So for people that don't know what epigenetics is, a lot of people know genetics, you know, they say, oh, you know, you got your genes and all that sort. But what is epigenetics exactly? Like, how, What's the simplest way to describe that for people so they understand what we're talking about? We keep bringing up epigenetics and, you know, changes down the line. Yeah. Well, somebody just recently described it to me. They were trying to summarize what I was saying, and they said, it's pro- it sounds like tattoos on your DNA. And that's a good ex- description. It's, it's not your DNA itself. It's marks on top of your DNA. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to simplify it by by talking about music and just how if you've got a simple, simple song and it's got just black dots, like Mary Had a Little Lamb, it would just be just those black dots on the staff, on the lines. Well, that's like your DNA. It's super simple. You can pass that on. Somebody else can play Mary Had a Little Lamb. The next person can keep playing it, you know. But then, and it doesn't really change. It's just the same simple song. But then when you put chords on top of those, You've got more, multiple notes on top of those sim- simple notes. Mm-hmm. That's that's like epigenetics. You literally have marks on top of the DNA, and and yeah, you can pass that to somebody, but you can change those chords, and it doesn't really change the song. You still got Mary had a little lamb, but it's more complex and it's changing. Mm-hmm. So then epigenetics. So so I guess an example would be let's say you had a gene that says you're susceptible to lung cancer. Yeah. Um, I guess some people, you know, the, the more simple people would just kind of say, well, you have a gene for lung cancer. So in other words, you're going to get lung cancer. There's nothing you can do about it. Where the epigenetics would say, well, okay, you got a gene for lung cancer and that's not going to change. But if you avoid smoke and maybe you avoid all these toxins, you're really careful, you might not turn on that gene. Would that be correct? Is that Yeah, correct? absolutely. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So, yeah, just to get that. And, and, and you see that, well, uh, and you see that in different you know, like how the enzyme functions, like, for example, detox genes, you know, we've got liver enzymes uh, that get rid of chemicals. Mm-hmm. And I, specific, well, I do DNA consulting every evening for people. Um, and I, I look at these detox genes. That's one of the things I do and specialize in. And I, I try and figure out, okay, how is your body getting rid of aluminum or, or mercury or whatever, you know, parabens, phthalates, whatever these things, volatile organic compounds, you know, how, do, how is your liver handling that? And yeah, you probably have, everybody has issues in certain detox genes, and they're always a little bit different between people. But when you have an issue, you know, you're always going to have that issue. The enzyme's never going to detox something, whatever the chemical is, quite as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a, sometimes, so sometimes there's like a valid genetic issue that you can't work around. Yep. But, but then sometimes it's all about expression, and that's it. That's epigenetics, like you're saying. You know? gotcha. So there's there's like a time and place for both, and I think they they you, they both have to be factored in for sure. For sure. Now detoxes. That's an interesting one actually, because we're in that time of year right now. You know, just go to any nutrition store and you'll <laughs> see all the you know like the the herbal detoxes on the shelf, and everybody's going detox crazy right now because you know they've spent the whole summer drinking. Now <laughs> it is true, right, that there are certain things that like milk thistle and stuff can help stimulate the the liver correct to help like cleanse stuff or is that completely yeah so um what are your thoughts on detoxes like what what's the good what's the bad where do people get them wrong where do people get them right like these kind of Uh, over-the-shelf detoxes yeah i mean i think it's it's similar to the word diet where people you know if you're looking to sell a best to to create a best-selling book you just use the word diet like you know you just make something up like the cardboard diet or whatever you just throw a word in front of the word diet and it's instantly instantly gonna increase your sales yeah so a lot of people use it falsely and just kind of throw it around and that's that's one of the reasons it gets a bad rap but that doesn't mean it doesn't work and where it's not a real thing. And I think the best use of detox is obviously if you just think about chemicals that are in your body and you want to get them out, you know, that's detoxing and, and however you do that is a form of detox. But I think the best way with the estrogens is sauna use, you know, sitting in a sauna mm-hmm. and they've done studies, you know, they've done great studies with basically skin patches like nicotine patches without the nicotine. And they have groups of people that aren't in saunas and groups of people that are in saunas. And the ones that are in saunas are sweating out BPA. They're sweating out phthalates. You know, they're sweating these chemicals out. So that's a great way to get, get them out. Now, um, when you say saunas, does, does it matter? Because I know the big trend right now is, because uh, I think just because they're easy and you can pull them out of your house. Is there any difference between, saying infrared sauna and the old school, like, Swedish rock sauna when it comes to that? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. For sure, yeah. In fact, I'm I'm doing studies at the Mayo Clinic on infrared, okay, um, and the effects on stem cells, trying to reprogram stem cells because there's totally different. I mean, if you, 
the, I like infrared because you can get the heat. So there's mm -hmm. definitely benefits just from the heat, you know, oh. with heat shock proteins and, and getting rid of these, you know, sweating mm -hmm. and, and then this cellular response, even there's even positive benefits on your gut bacteria, which most people don't even think about mm -hmm. just from heating, heating up your body. There's even telomere. Um, there's even some. Oh yeah. Tel yeah. Yeah. But but so that but you're talking about sense. so far just from that's just just heat. heat just so that could right. even be a Swedish sauna. Yeah yeah okay and I'm a huge fan but but then if you add infrared there's an as long as you also are getting the heat you're getting a whole other layer of benefits which include nitric oxide release um, so you make is from from cytochrome from uh, cytochrome C oxidase you're eight so you're making more ATP which is energy you get a increase in BDNF in your brain. So some people have Alzheimer's brain genes. brain-derived neurotropic factor. Neurotropic factor, yeah. yeah, yeah. And some people, I, I find this commonly actually with people that have an Alzheimer's risk. Mm -hmm. They have, sometimes it, the risk gene is the BDNF gene. Hmm. And if you've got that risk, when I'm doing genetic uh, consulting, I'll tell you, like you absolutely should get an infrared sauna and get that sucker right up next to your head or an infrared light at least and just put it right up next to your head because they've done studies on cadavers and it goes three inches into your past your skull. Wow. So that the infrared gets in there and it definitely decreases your your amyloid, increases your BDNF. You know, there's a lot of interesting benefits that are completely different than heat with infrared. Okay, so so the infrared sauna basically has all the kind of the benefits of the traditional one, but also all these increased ones because of the way it penetrates through the skin and through the layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, is that similar? Is that similar in any way to because there's the the red light therapy too, right? The uh, is it? Yeah, is it's it, the same. It's basically the same. So what they what they used to call it, it was they called it low level laser light therapy. Okay. So if you're looking up research on infrared that's what you want to look at you want to look at low level laser light therapy mm -hmm. because that's what they you know it's frustrating because if you do look up infrared sauna use or whatever you find almost nothing yeah okay <laughs> in the scientific studies but then once you realize oh i need to use this llt word or whatever low level laser light therapy, then you find thousands of studies and it opens up this whole world of really interesting research mm -hmm. um and yeah the red so you can see red light with your eyes visibly yeah, and then infrared is just below, like near infrared is just below that, and then far infrared is even further below that, and then of course you've got radio waves and things like that that are super weak, mm -hmm. right? So if you're if you're going to try and get some kind of a health impact from radio waves, which you're not going to, but let's just pretend you were going to try that, you would crank the, you'd have to use a ton of energy, right, to get yep. those radio waves to hit your body real hard, and that's what you have to do with far infrared. Okay, but. But near infrared, you don't need that much power. You don't need as much energy, and you get more of an effect. So I'm a big fan of near infrared. Although there can be benefits from even just red light that you can see, right? Or far infrared. It's just I but think near near so, is the ultimate. So near is the one that's in the infrared saunas, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you have a good, one. some people get crappy infrared lights, and they're not actually in the right range to release nitric oxide, and that's a whole different thing. But, but yeah. yeah, that's the thing. You definitely got to get yourself a good infrared sauna. I mean, you just can't go get one of these ones. I think for like seven hundred bucks from Radio Shack. <laughs> well, well, also, yeah, even Amazon they sell like real cheap infrared lights, and yeah, they're not. They're not therapeutic. Now, what about other ways besides the sauna? Like ex what ex exercise, I'm guessing one. You said sweat, exercise. Um, there's been, I know, a lot of research into broccoli sprouts lately and sephorophane, including even last week, and increasing like glutathione levels in the brain. Yeah. Um, so what, what's the sephorophane? What's all that? Because that seems to be a big hype right now. What's all that? About? Oh, yeah. Well, no, sulforaphane is definitely a, a, a positive epigenetic regulator. Mm-hmm. And the sky is kind of limited in terms of the benefits because in, unlike estrogen, so these artificial estrogens are negative epigenetic regulators in, in the sense that they cause problems. It's multi-generational. It gets passed on. So authorophane is the opposite. It's a positive epigenetic regulator, meaning it gives you positive benefits, you personally, and then it also, those get passed on. Okay. So it's actually, it's actually changing marks on your DNA, but it's doing it in a positive way. Hmm. Now, anything else like um, like you hear sometimes like for estrogen, especially for helping cut down estrogen, things like IC3 or DIM. Do you know any of those supplements? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I usually I, – I didn't include those in my book because those are more customizable and custom they should be customized and personalized. 
because if you take too much of them, they actually increase estrogen, especially oh, okay. diendylmethane, DIM. Um, and it has to do with this whole idea that there's more receptors, there's less receptors, you know, that feedback thing we were talking about before. Um, mm -hmm. So you have to be careful with them, but if you're taking the right dose, they can decrease estrogen. Okay. So what would you say would be a great protocol for somebody who really, you know, who said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, read his book. I'm going to try to cut out all these things out of my life, but I really want to do a good, we'll just call it for argument's sake, a detox. You would suggest a sauna, infrared sauna, yep. Yep. obviously exercise. Now, are there any types of exercise? I know some yogas say, you know, they, they have certain moves because of the twisting kind of helps empty the lymph nodes and rebounders talk about how they're great for moving the lymph fluid. Is there any particular kind of exercise or is it just movement in your opinion? Yeah, I think, I think both. I think you need movement. I like the idea of doing yoga. I also like heavy lifting because you're building muscle. Okay. And, and that's an important factor as well because muscles actually help to balance your hormones, having just muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the problems with aging is you start to lose muscle mass as you age and then your hormones start to get off balance. Because um, muscles actually make hormones and they, you know, they buffer hormones. There's a delicate balance there and muscles help to keep that balance. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I think, I think the big, what I did in my book is I, I made a gold a silver and a bronze level plan for people because I do consulting with pro athletes and bodybuilders and things. Mm -hmm. Those I want those people on the gold level plan in the sense that they need to be really extreme. Or of course, if you've got breast cancer risks or whatever, you know, if, if, yeah. you, if you're in certain categories, you want to be extra cautious with artificial estrogens. But then for like somebody on a super budget or something, you know, you don't have to be super, you, you, there's, there's the big ones. You want to get the water filtered. You want to get your personal care products cleaned up. You know, so that's my goal with my book was to make it real simple for people, for everyday people to kind of understand and then lay out a plan that fits themselves. Because it is a little unique, different people, you know, for each individual. Yeah, I can see. Because I could also, it's, it's good you have the three levels too, because I could see it being very overwhelming, you know. Yeah. Like for yeah. a lot of people, it's just like, wow, I have to avoid so many things. I don't know where to start. Just I'm not yeah. even bother. Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are there any supplements so that, like, is there anything you, that's, that's kind of like, they could take on a regular basis too. anything that helps out like we said you know obviously you can have broccoli sprouts every day or i know there's sephorafane capsules and stuff like that uh, is there anything else that you could think about top of your head that you could say you know like people could go yeah. to the store pick up or i mean nothing comes to mind just generically yeah. for everybody okay because what my, my main strategy is for people to avoid the artificial estrogens that's the biggest thing yeah for sure it's, it's like what's the point of taking something if you're just going to keep you know, if you're going to keep drinking out of a plastic bottle, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to take a supplement. I think it's better just to get rid of the plastic bottle and then not worry. It, but but then I do I do I do have recommendations for sure. But it's usually specific to people's genes, you know, and their genetics. When I'm looking at yeah. that, and you actually do testing, right? You can actually test how yeah. well people like excrete estrogen or break down estrogens too. Is that? Oh yeah, you can, you can, and you can do blood tests, but it's hard with the BPA and the phthalates and all these. They don't do convention in the lab. You can do those tests, but in 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 general, you know, there's not like a lab company doing those tests like BPA. Mm -hmm. Only in the research level, and so they're really really expensive. But I, you definitely can tell with the natural estrogen. And I I like to use testosterone. I like to watch people's testosterone change mm -hmm. because that's a pretty easy test to do. Yeah. And, you know, genetically, I can predict how you're, you know, how much estrogen you're going to have just looking at your genes. 23 and me, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Now, one last thing I want to touch on before I let you go, because I'm sure you're busy. Uh, we're going for an hour. BPA, we keep talking on BPA, but BPA is an interesting yeah. one, if, if I'm correct, that... It's great that we got rid of BPA, you know, because everybody got together and decided to demonize BPA for, you know, because it isn't good. But is it true or is it not true that, you know, BP is more like of a classification? A lot of companies took out BPA and just kind of threw in BPS and BPS could even be worse. And yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's 100% true. And 17 states made it illegal because, made in the United States because uh, the federal government refused to make it illegal. Okay. And then... And at least in children, children's products and things like that. Um, but then we, that's exactly what happened is the companies decided, well, we were using bisphenol A, BPA. Let's just make bisphenol S. And just imagine if you made BPS illegal, then they can make BPAF or yeah, BPF. Yeah, because there's like BPZZ. I mean, there's yeah, like a lot of Yeah, you can just make whatever. 
And they all act like estrogen. There's a good research paper where, where they're looking at the estrogen receptor. And yeah, they're all activating the estrogen receptor. Is there such a thing as a healthy plastic at all? Like some people say, oh, there's clinical grade plastics and stuff. Is there anything? <laughs> is there such a thing as a healthy plastic? Uh, I, I mean, plastics two, four, and five, you know, if you're looking at the recycling symbol, those are the best ones okay. in terms of having the least amount of junk in them. Mm-hmm. But even those, you know, like you get like 15% of them have phthalates. Gotcha. Okay. So we should really be trying to use glass, stainless, yep, stainless. steel. And yep. how about copper? Any, any thoughts on copper? Uh, some people yeah, like copper, uh, some hate copper. Oh. Yeah, I avoid copper because there's definitely a risk for Alzheimer's if you've got heavy metal gene issues, you know, genetic okay. issues where clearing metals is, an, is a problem. Hmm. Um, so it does bioaccumulate in your brain if you're not getting it out of your body. Gotcha. Okay. Very interesting. Because I know like uh, sometimes like in ancient Ayurvedic medicine, they're always telling you to keep your, you know, water and copper. Um, but then, yeah. yeah. Very, and some people need it, right? Like some people, it's real important for your red blood cells and your metabolism and things. But if you get too much, it can be a tricky balance. And some people, it's just like anything, right? Like some people, they can't have too much salt because they get high blood pressure, you know? And then for most people, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. So, know, or whatever, so you always have to look at the individual. Yeah. So where can people find out more about this? Because it's such an exciting, big topic. I mean, I feel we could talk for hours. Um, where can people, where can people, first of all, let's go, where can people get your book? What's the full name of your book and where can we get it? Let's start with that. Oh, yeah. Well, the book is called Estro Generation. Mm-hmm. And again, that's because estrogens impact multiple generations. Estro Generation, how estrogenics are making you fat, sick, and infertile. And yeah, it's on Amazon. It's uh, it's on Barnes and Nobles. It's it's on Lulu and all these other weird smash words. All these sites, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you can pretty much get it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. where can and then, people? Sorry, go on. But yeah, exactly. I was going to answer your question before you even asked it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but people can generally just find me at AJ Consulting Company as well. That's what I, that's where I do my DNA consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, AJConsultingCompany.com is the website for that. Terrible name, I know, but that's just what I called that a long time ago. Yeah, it's just stuck. Now, and do, can people deal with you that aren't like necessarily Minnesota? Like, do you do testing for people like yeah. all? And it, how about different countries like Canada and uh, stuff do, like that too? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do people from Australia, UK, all over the place. Yeah, all oh. the time. Oh, very interesting. Okay, well, great. Well, anyways, again, thank you for joining me today. This was an awesome episode. I was so excited to get this one in just because this is a topic I think that is super important. Yet, you know, even in the health and fitness industry, you know, it's, you know, it's oh, eat kale shakes and do squats, take a fish oil and everything will be okay. And it's just kind of like, no, it's like it goes so far beyond that. But it, it's just so difficult because like you said, these things are so ingrained in our life, first of all. Uh, yep. And second of all, they're for the most part invisible. You know, you, you can't weigh them. You can't measure them. You can't really see how they're affecting you. But sometimes, you know, without basically either being really in tune with your body or getting some kind of blood test done. So, but that's yep. such an important thing. So, yeah, like, thank you for your book. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting a copy of that myself very soon. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm sure we'll, I'd love to have a part two again with you one day. Do you have any more books or anything else you're working on right now? Or uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I have a bunch of books I'm working on. And <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say which one's going to come out, but yeah, Very nice. definitely. Yeah, well, Thanks again, for having me again, on, again. I appreciate that. It was fun. Yeah, I know. Thank you. You've been listening to the Health by Design podcast with wellness architect and functional lifestylist, Roar Alexander. If you enjoyed this, please make sure you share it to all your social media so I can get the word out there. And don't forget to join me at www.roaralexander.com to get all the latest updates, blogs, podcasts, and guest interviews with my special guests from all over the world, as well as to set up your own personal call for one-on-one coaching through my Health by Design life and body transformation programs. Again, that's www.roaralexander.com. I'll see you again soon. And again, thanks for tuning in to the Health by Design podcast.